Well, let me add my welcome to Steve's and welcome you to our July 29th only service. If, you've not, if I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Neil Davidson, one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel. And this is the one Sunday out of the year that I feel comfortable wearing shorts because today we're having our church picnic. So it's great to have our Facebook Live people joining us, but you're going to miss out because there's a lot of great hamburgers, hot dogs, meatballs, sausage, and a bunch of other stuff that's going to be ready for us right after the service is over. So if you're our guest today and you didn't know we were having a picnic, we'd love for you to stay. I was planning on having four hamburgers, but I'll cut back to one. There'll be plenty of food to go around. And so we want you to come and stay with us, join us, and, and we'll just get a chance to hang out a little bit. They're, they're working on it, and the idea is that as soon as the service is over, we'll kind of be ready to start. If you, you know, if your lawn chairs or whatever still out in your car, you might want to go set those up before you get a full plate of food and then just come on in and, and we'll move through and it, it should, it's a good stuff. The room's filling up. It's going to be right down here to the right, uh, to my right, your left. But hey, um, so I want to invite all of our kids to come down today and we're going to, the kids are going to help me tell us, tell the Bible story today that we're looking at. So all of our children, come on down. Why don't you just gather right here in the front, right? So, and face me, all right? Keep coming. Oh, good. The more the merrier, right? Because we need two armies today. So we need all the kids we can get, all right? So. We good? All right. So a long, a long, long time ago, there were two brothers, One brother was named Jacob, and the other brother was named Esau, right? And they were twins, though they didn't look alike, and they didn't act alike. And one of those those guys, Jacob, had 12 sons. And we've been reading his story, understanding his story about how they moved to Egypt because of a famine where they lived. means that they couldn't get their gardens to grow. They didn't have any food to eat. They were always hungry. So they moved to Egypt, and there they grew to be a really big nation. Esau, the other brother, he had children as well, and he had a grandson by the name of Amalek. And Amalek's family grew to be a big nation themselves called the Amalekites. And they were a group of people, they really didn't have like a home that they were always in. They were people who moved around. We call them nomads, right? And two things they did is they they herded like sheep and goats, but they also sometimes would attack people and steal their stuff, right? So they were called raiders. And so our story today is when these two folks meet in the desert in the Sinai Peninsula, all right? The Israelites... God has taken Jacob and all of his family, and he's brought them out of Egypt, right? And, and some of you know the story of the Red Sea. The, the Israelites went to the beach, and lo and behold, the ocean evaporated, just disappeared in front of them. And they walked across the bottom of the sea. But when the Egyptians went in, and they didn't bring their swimming suits, the water came down, and they, they, it was too far from shore, and none of them made it back. And so the Israelites now are walking through the desert for three months. How long is your summer break from school? Like two months, right? Nine weeks. So this is 12 weeks, an extra, an extra three days, or three weeks, right? So they're walking all the way to Sinai. And as they go, they need food and they need water. But they also need food for all their animals. And so they've come to an area inside of the Sinai Peninsula, which is the best place to graze all your herd, right? And with that, the Amalekites aren't very happy 
because they don't think there's going to be enough grain left. There's not going to be enough area left for their sheep and goats to eat. So they decide to attack the Israelites, all right? So they did this a little differently. We know from the book of Deuteronomy that what they did, because they didn't really just attack the Israelites as a big thing. They would, they would come up behind the Israelites as they were walking, and there was always the old people who were slow, right? You guys have any grandparents who don't move as fast as they used to? Don't point them out, all right? Don't do that, all right? And so they'd be in the back, and the little kids sometimes who couldn't walk so fast, and they would sneak up behind and steal them and run off with them. Right? And so this made the... Thanks for being a good doobie there, buddy. And so this made... So this made all of the... the, the so this made the Israelites really mad. And Moses, their leader, in talking to God, decided it was time to do something about it. So he spoke to a young guy who was one of his leaders called Joshua. He said, Joshua, I want you to pick a group of people who are going to go out and fight for us tomorrow against the Amalekites, right? So I'm going to be Joshua for just a second. And I'm going to take this line right here, and I want you guys to all to slide this way. All right? Do you want to be a good guy or do you want to be a bad guy? I want to be the rebels. All right, so you can be over here because these are going to be the good guys. All right, here we go. I'm losing them. All right, keep sliding. Oh, move over just a little bit more. All right, so you guys are now all of the Israelite army that Joshua chose, okay? Now, what... It, First of all, they weren't great warriors. That's one of the reasons why he had to choose. He couldn't just like say, okay, we're going to muster up in an army. A lot of them didn't have any weapons. And, no, and really, none of them were trained to be soldiers. So, so Joshua walks around. And he finds the best people he can. And that's, he's just going to have to make do with them when he goes to battle. So you guys are the Israelites. That means you guys are, are the Amalekites. You're the bad guys. Yay. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> there you go. All right. So, so when the day of battle came, right, God, Moses, went, who was the leader, went up on the top of a hill, and he was going to hold up a staff over his head. So we have a staff over here, all right? Boy, these gorilla sticks are coming in valuable the last few weeks. So when, when they were in Egypt, God had done a lot of miracles, and sometimes with that, um, he used the staff that he had given to Moses to use. And so Moses, when he touched the Nile River with a staff, it turned into blood. And there are times when he waved it and the hail would fall and those kinds of things. So the staff, had God used it to display a lot of power, all right? So Noah, you're going to be Moses. Come on up here. Keep coming. All right? So the day of battle comes and the Israelites are ready to fight, okay? Now listen, here's what. Noah's going to hold this above his head. Got that? And whenever it's above his head, I need you guys to stand up as though you're winning, all right? Not you guys. You're losing, all right? So, and I want you to yell, charge! There you go, all right? Now, Noah, how long do you think you can hold that up over your head? Uh, for 30 seconds. 30 seconds. And then what's going to happen? Your arms are going to get tired, right? And it's going to drop down. And when it drops down, I want you to sit down. And I want you guys to stand up and yell, Charge! Charge! 
So whenever the staff went down, the bad guys were winning, right? And then when Moses would rest his arms and he'd raise it back up again and... And then they'd get tired again and... So they had to come up with a solution. So this is what they did. They, they put Moses... They, sit down. You guys can sit down for a second. They put Moses on a rock, right? And he held the staff over his head, all right? And I need two, gu- two folks to come up from the Israelites, all right? So that's more than two. All right. So you, you come stand over here, okay? Oop, got to get behind them. And you come over here, right? And I want you to grab his arm. No, just like this. You're going to grab his arm and help him hold his arm up, all right? And you get the other one. So your name is Aaron, you're Moses' brother, and your name is Her. Not H-E-R, but H-U-R, all right? You look like a Her, but we're going to call you Her today, all right? And so his hands are up, so what, what are you guys supposed to be doing? Charge, right? And it stays up all the time, so what happens to the Amalekites? Yes, indeed, some of them did die. And then a, then a lot of them ran away, right? They, they were able to get away, right? So, they, so how many of you want to, be run, want to run away instead of dying? All right, so just move over this way a little bit. We'll symbolize you running away. All right, there we go. So, all right, that's good. So at the end of the day, the battle is over, and the Israelites have won. And we, so you guys all, we are the champions! All right, there we go. All right. Thank you very much. You guys can have a seat right down here. Oh. No, 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 no. Don't go back yet. So, I have a question to ask you. Why do you think it mattered where the staff was? If it was over Moses' head, what happened? The Israelites won, right? If it was down because his arms get tired, what, what, it, they lost. Why, why do you think that was? Okay. All right, but what, why do you think that was? Yeah, so actually, that's a, that's a great answer, okay? Not so much the magical part, but the rest of it's pretty good. <laughs> Meaning that God used the staff as a symbol, right? So Moses, actually, when the story's over, he says, says God is my signal pole. He's my banner, right? And so they often, with the armies, back before they had cell phones and radios and everything else, they used to use flags and other kinds of things to rally the army or to send messages. And so when they raised up the signal pole, everybody knew where to rally in the middle of the battle so they could try to regroup and move forward. And so the, the, the staff of Moses came to represent God's presence and God could, they could rally around God. But when it went down, that meant that they were on their own and they didn't do so well. Right? So every time it was up, that meant they, God was at work for them. God was working among them, and they had victory. And when it went down, they 
lost, right? So where do we really want to keep God in our lives? Up here or down here? Down here. Up there is a lot better, right? So that's what I'm going to talk to your parents about in just a little bit. And so you can ask them lots of questions about what it means to keep God up here and how we do that rather than having it down here when we get done later, all right? So thanks. Hey, how about a big round of applause for our actors this morning, right? All right. So I want to say a little prayer, and I want to talk about, I'll pray about our story that we just learned, but I also want you to, to know that this funny, this guy back here with a funny-looking shirt on, John, John, you can raise your hand, John is going off to Rwanda where this stick came from on Tuesday. And he's going over because through some of the work we've done there, we've opened up an opportunity to help people who are missing the bottom part of their legs. They might be able to get prosthetics that go on the bottom of them so that they can walk again. And so John's going over with a couple of guys to see if they can make all that happen. So I want to pray for John, too, as we go, all right? So let, can you bow your heads? Pray with me. I promise not to pray too long, all right, so you don't fall asleep. Here we go. God, thank you so much that you are among us. And if we lift you up in our lives, there's great victory for us. But God, we confess it's hard sometimes to do that. And sometimes we, we, we let you kind of fade out of sight and we try to do things on our own power and things don't go so well. And so God, I thank you for this great lesson for us today from your word. And uh, we pray that, I pray for these kids that they, they would learn at this young age how to put you first and keep you first. Keep, keep, their, keep you raised in their lives so they would always have victory. Bless them, I pray. I pray for John this week as he goes out that, uh, that not only maybe he bring back some cool new sticks as well, but that in addition to that, you'd really use them so some people's lives could really be made a lot better because they'd, they'd be able to walk without having to have crutches. And so we really ask you to do that and keep him safe as he's there as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. Now you can go back to your seats. All right. And while they're getting settled in, let me invite you to grab a Bible and turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's perfectly fine. There'll be a Bible underneath your seat. Invite you to grab one of those. And if you don't know exactly where that's at, you'll find our text today in that Bible on page 60. On page 60, Exodus chapter 17. And we're looking at just a few verses this morning. Uh, unlike some of our series where we've been devouring entire chapters in, in our sermon series on Exodus, but today we're going to be just looking at verses 8 through 16. And there's only minimal truth to the fact that I don't want the sermon to go long because I'm hungry and the hamburgers are cooking. So, so follow along if you would in Exodus chapter 17, and I'll start with verse 8, and we'll read down through verse 16. I'll make a couple of comments along the way, and then I want to come back and, and look at some insights for us about the need for and the way that we keep God first in our lives. We keep, we keep those arms raised, if you will, and the staff lifted in our lives. So at Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. They were snatching people from the back, and it was a bigger raid than that they had done. So Moses said to Joshua, select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. It's not that they didn't want all of the the men to go. The problem was that not all the men were prepared to go. So he had to go pick out those who were the best options that he had. Not necessarily A-grade trained soldiers, but just the guys. Like, you know what? If you had a hoe, you were probably in the army. 
because that's what you fought with. You know, if you had a rake, you, that's, you were probably in the army and went out to fight because hardly any of them had swords, right? And so in the midst of that, he, he goes and he chooses some. So select some men for you, for us, and go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had told him, and he fought against Amalek. Well, Moses, Aaron, and her, and we really don't know much about her. There's a little bit of detail a little later in the book about him, but we really don't know where he came from or who he was or what his family was like or anything else. It says, just this guy that was a part of the leadership team, part of Moses' network, if you will. And and so he and Aaron and her went up to the top of the hill. And while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. You know, I, I... and so, you know, Moses is up there. He's got the staff above his hands, above his head, and, and they're having victory. But after a while, his arms just start to get tired. I, I have no idea how long you could hold a staff above your head before your arms just got so tired. You would, but I also have no interest in trying to see how you could do, long you could do that for. But obviously, the battle went on all day, and his arms just grew tired. And so whenever his arms sagged, Amalek began to prevail, and they were yelling, charge, and moving forward. So... When Moses' hands grew heavy, verse 12, they took a stone and they put it under him and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar, and he named it, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my signal pole. He's my rallying place. He said, Indeed, my hand is lifted up towards the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. And indeed, we see later that on only was this a part of the, the journey they had in entering into the promised land. But then under King Saul, the very first of the kings that the nation of Israel had, the Amaleks were eventually experienced a judgment for their acts of of evil against God's people as they journeyed there. So may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So let's let's just kind of bring into picture what's going on here, right? First of all, this is just a very natural thing that happens in their journey. When the Israelites are, are moving through the Sinai Peninsula, they're trying to make it to the mountain of God, that they, they head for the place where they're going to be best able to feed their, feed their herds. But there's not many of those places around. And so with that, the Amalekites, they look at it and they say, you know what, if, if Israel comes in and they settle here, we're not going to have access to these val- this valley where the grass is green, where there's plenty of water for our herds, and we ourselves may- are going to be threatened. So they attack as an act of self-preservation in some ways. But Israel fights back. And Israel is learning a lesson. You know, we- we've-, we've seen in the context here that Israel was embedded in Egypt. They were hopelessly captured in slavery. And God has brought them out of Egypt through acts of his own power. God did it on his own, without their involvement. He, he used Moses as his instrument, but God has won his war with Pharaoh. And as the 
And as the sea closed in over the chariots of Egypt, the people of God were set free. But now they're in a time of learning, a time of preparation, an interim period of time, if you will. They're spending these 90 days making their way to the people of, to the mountain of God, where they are formally going to make a commitment to say, I'm going to walk with you, God. And they're learning some lessons along the way. Last week, what we saw was that they needed to, they needed to learn that God was going to provide for them. And God provided for them water and quail and manna. In fact, the manna lasted for 40 years, just a symbol of the faithfulness of God in that journey. The other thing they needed to learn was a, a, a new understanding of God's power. And, and I mean, let me try to, hopefully I can communicate this in a way where you can grasp it. They had seen God do some incredible things, right? God had turned the Nile into undrinkable water. He had polluted it in an instant. God had sent hail that destroyed fields. God had made it dark over the land for three days. God had brought them out and sent the angel of death where every firstborn male, whether it was human or animal, had died. God had brought them out, brought them through the Red Sea. They had seen God win his battle with Pharaoh. But they were in a different place now. Now they needed to learn that they could win their battles with God. Right? Before, the, the, the release from slavery, the release from, from all that, that was unconditional. God did it. They had nothing to do with it. Just like Christ died on the cross, he paid the price for our sin. We have nothing to do with our own salvation. God has provided it all for us through his son and Jesus Christ. But the moment we embrace that freedom that comes from the truth that Jesus Christ is our savior and our redeemer, he, is the, he has paid the price for all of our sins and we are new children of God, then the battle starts of being the children of God. And we need to learn a brand new lesson. We need to discover the power of God in us to be the people of God. And this isn't the last battle that's before these Israelites. They fight with the Amalekites. They go to, they go to the mount. Eventually they make their way to Kadesh Barnea. And after a survey of the land and the battles as ahead of them, they, 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 they come back and 10 out of the 12 say, we can't do this. They, they, there are battles ahead of them that are coming, and they need to learn the lesson of the power that they have in them as God is in the midst, their midst, and that they can do it. And that's what God's teaching them through the Amalekites, this experience. In this learning journey between the sea and the mountain, where they go from being set free from their past, and now they're getting ready to embrace a new future as the people of God, in the midst of that, God says, if, you, if I am in your midst, and you are with me, you have the power to succeed. And that's what this story is all about. And so when the staff is raised, it's a symbol of the fact that they are relying on God, they are acknowledging the power of God, the sovereignty of God over them. But when the staff is raised, it's symbolic of the fact I'm trying to do this on my own. And if you look out on the battlefield, there's advance and there's retreat. And there's advance and their retreat, depending upon whether they're acknowledging the power and the sovereignty of God, of God being among them, or whether they're dropping their hands and accept. And, and, and I got to tell you, this is, this is such a profound truth for all of us. I, I don't care what battle you and I might be fighting in our lives. I, whether we're, we're, we're fo- fighting to get to a place where we're emotionally whole because we've been broken 
whether we have relationships in our lives that are, that are just challenging to us, whether we're struggling in our vocation or in our finances. And you could just run down the list. I'm not trying to depress us, you know. You could run down through it. Even just the effort to grow spiritually and to experience what it means to be the child of God and the blessings that are flowed to that. There is a struggle going on. And unless you and I acknowledge the sovereignty of God and embrace it, and acknowledge that God is among us, we're never really going to have the victory that God offers for us. And that's what the Israelites are learning. It's also a lesson they're going to forget. And they're going to pay the price by missing out on the promised land. Now, there's some other truths I want us to see from... that, That is such a profound truth. So many of us are seeking... To win the victory is in our lives, whether it's to grow into the person we want to be or, or to forgive people that we need to forgive or to, 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 to allow healing to come into our lives or, or to believe that we have the ability to make a difference for the kingdom. Whatever the challenge is, many of us just really struggle. And we try to do that all in our own power. And then we wonder why we're always retreating rather than we're advancing. Because we refuse to acknowledge the fact that we need to be with God as he is with us in the midst of the journey. There's a couple of other truths I want you to see. And, 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 you know, hopefully you'll make a couple of notes to go along with all of this. But, you know, in this text, you see the primary principles of living a life of godly stewardship. And, and let me unpack that. What you're going to see in the midst of this, right, is that... you. you when you look at this passage of Scripture and this battle that's going on, God has a role to play. And so do the Israelites. Right? When, when Moses is on the mountain and the staff is raised up, God in his sovereign power is flowing and God has a role to play. But you look at verse 13 and the Scripture tells us that Joshua won the battle against the Amalekites that day. Because even though Moses is up on the mountain with the staff raised, there still takes an Israelite army out on the field fighting the battle, right? And, 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 and what you see in this is that in order for you and I to live a life that's really, that's really a life of stewardship, we're taking this gift that God has given us of anything in our lives that fits. We not only need to submit it to God, but then we, man, we need to sacrificially pursue it and use it. Right? I mean, it's, it's not just for Moses to go up in the top and the Amalekites are going to disappear. There's got to be an army out on the field fighting for it. And, and, and I got to tell you, they're, they're in our own journey. I think sometimes we are so extremely passive when it comes to our spiritual lives. You know, we'll, we'll work our tails off in all kinds of areas, doing stuff in our own powers. But, but when it comes to really trying to become the person we be and, and, and to change and, and, to, and to mature into the fullness of the presence of Christ in our lives, whatever, we're, we're very passive. It's like, well, God should just wave his magic stick over us, right? And it should just happen. And what it takes is God's staff raised on the top of the hill. And the rest of us down in the field, sweating and fighting in hand-to-hand combat to make pro- it takes both, and 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 that's not and that's true in in our in our in in our financial lives. You know, see, I think sometimes we 
We, you know, we, we will live lives for years, if not decades, and we create all kinds of huge potholes in our lives. And we think the only thing that's really going to get us out of that is if we just get on our knees and pray. And you need to get on your knees and pray. But sometimes you've got to buckle up and say, you know what, I actually got to live by a budget for a while to get myself out of financial ruin. Or sometimes, you, you know, you need to really work and put in some, some extra learning and growth if you're going to change jobs and move forward and et cetera. Sometimes you really have to work at rebuilding a marriage or a relationship with a child that's just not what it's supposed to be. Sometimes it takes a great deal of effort and you've got to work your tail off of it, but never forgetting that you need to acknowledge God's midst in, his midst in it and submitting yourself to his journey over that. I, I don't want to stress it out any further than I really need to. So there's another truth. This idea of, 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 of what does it really take to keep the staff lifted in our own lives? Part of that is we have to understand you and I have to work at it. We've got to acknowledge God. We've got to give him his place. We gotta, but we've got to work at it. The second thing I want to tell you is you can't do it alone. This incredible picture of Moses on the top of the hill, right? Isn't he the one who had the burning bush experience? Isn't he the one that God talks to face to face? Isn't he the one whose face glows? I mean, what, why does he need anybody else to help him? But he's standing on top of the mount, on the top of the hill with a staff raised and his arms are going down, right? And, and, and he needs somebody. He needs others to be in his life for him to fulfill his role, to be able to do what God, and I gotta tell you, you know, we, we have this core value of, as a church that faith is a team sport, right? Faith is a team sport because you can't do it on your own. And, and, if, and if it's this idea, well, you know, I'll just show up on church on Sunday morning and, and I'll just get downloaded into and then I can just go do this all on my own, that's a fallacy. That's a fallacy. And, and I got to tell you, you need other people in your life that you can trust and open up to and et cetera. You know, you know, you know we, we all, all of us, I think, want to have friends in our lives. But I got to tell you what, if you're settling for this kind of things, you know, I'm great. I, I'm so glad I have a couple buddies I can go to the bar with, have a few beers and vent about all the frustrations in my life, about my job and my wife and everything else. If that's what you have in your life I, and, and you don't have a group of people you can reach out to to say, you know what, I need you to come over here and pray for me. You, you, I don't think you're really in the right place. Because faith is a team sport. And, and, and Moses didn't need drinking buddies up on top of the hill. He needed people who were going to hold up his hands Amen. as he cried out to God to give victory in the field. And, and, and you, we're designed to be connected with one another. You know, and, and you can see this working itself out in church life. Some of you, you know, we have a few people who are visiting here today, right? And you may feel, all right, I'm going to come back. I, w- what you will see statistically is that if in the ser- first six months of a person's engagement with a church, if they don't find a group of people to kind of hang out with, to have people who are going to be their hand holders, their arm holders, or don't find a niche of ministry in those first six months, by the end of 18 months, they're going to be gone. Because they don't find community. Without community, they just dry on the vine, they retreat, and they're lost. And so the idea of just saying, you know what, you know, and so the, the mantra we have now is, I'm so busy, I don't have time for that stuff. And that's part where we have to go back to that stewardship principle and say, if this is what God has ordained, that I have to have these kinds of people in my life, I have, the kind of, I have to have the kind of relationship with them that they can truly lift up my spiritual hands, then I've got to cut some stuff out and make that time 
so that I can have that community because I am designed to be interdependent with the people of God. You can't do it on your own. Here's the third thing I want you to see. You know, what was, what was Moses' reaction right after the battle? He says, man, we got to thank God. Let's build an altar. we got to thank God. You know, and so, I mean, when they built an altar, by, in those days, it was to acknowledge what God has done. And they, as they offered up offerings on it, it was an expression of thanks to God. And, and I got to tell you, you know, this place of thanksgiving in our lives is missing. And, and it's, miss, it's, it's not large enough in my life. You know, we, you know, one of the old, old hymns that some of us remember are count your many blessings, name them one by one, you know. And, 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 and when was the last time we really stopped, just you personally, just stopped and spent some time just saying, God, you know, I'm, I'm acknowledging here, whatever, kind of focusing and just reel through all the things that he's blessed you with. See, most of us are just like our children are to us as parents, they, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. And then you have to say, and what do you say? Thank you, right? You know, it's that kind of, and, and we need to learn, we need to be people of thanksgiving. And if we don't have that rhythm in our lives, I don't think we can have that possibility of really keeping God up in his place. That power of God flowing in us, our, us acknowledging that God is among us and that we are with God. It comes from an expression of gratitude. I, you know, I, I'm not saying you should go home and build an altar in your backyard. You know, like go down to the building, go down to the building office tomorrow, get a permit to build. That's not what I'm saying to you. But I do think that you and I need, with these people who are in our lives that are holding our hands up, we need to hold each other accountable to say, I got to be a pers- person of thanksgiving. I got to be saying, thank you, God. I got to be thanking God. Because you know what that does? As you see in this story, it helps us to remember. You know, God tells Moses, you know what, I want you to write this down in the book. And, and, and it's specifically what he says. He says, I want you to write this down in the book, and it might even be the book of Exodus that he's talking about. He says, I want you to write this down in the book, and I want you to make sure that Joshua hears it, reads it, remembers it, knows that it's in there, is that today there was a, there was a victory over the Amalekites, but they have not experienced it was just a victory in a skirmish. And God said, ultimately, I'm going to be victorious in the future over what they represent. And, and so God wants us to remember that the victory that you and I are experiencing, we, we, we may experience elements of it here, may be some forward and reverses and et cetera, all that kind of stuff, but ultimately, the complete victory is coming in the future. And, and you know, and I... This is the, one of the things is I've been working back through Exodus again. One of the things that, I, I, that has just so struck me about the Israelites that I didn't see in some of my earlier studies is just how nearsighted they are, right? That all they can see is what God did 30 minutes ago and what they need him to do in the next 30 minutes, and they forget about everything else. Do, do you know what I mean? And... And, and, you know, God, you know, not only, the, you know, the whole coming out of Egypt and through the Red Sea and the manna and the quail, whatever, all they can see is God didn't meet what I wanted right when I wanted in the last 30 minutes. And they're so nearsighted and it continuously undermines their ability to keep the power of God elevated in their lives. And, and, and I got to tell you, 
I'm using that phrase a lot, but, you know, Christina and I, I told you last week, we celebrated 34 years of marriage last Saturday, right? A week ago yesterday. And, 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 and by her words and by my words, I think we have a great marriage and we are really blessed to have it. But I got to tell you, in short micro clips, she could find all kinds of reasons to believe why I'm the worst husband in the world right? You know, because, well, the grass is too long, or, you know, you didn't pick up your socks, or, you know, there's a little spray on the, on the toilet seat. I'm being a little too graphic there, whatever, you know. <laughs> that was never me. It was always the boys. <laughs> you know, but you know what I'm saying, you know, and, 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 you get, and you can find something in the moment to say, I can't trust you. But when you back up over 34 years, there is undisputable evidence that the commitment that I made at the altar to try to love her as Christ loved the church is still one of my major life missions. And if you, if you take the short view with God, you're going to walk. But if you take the long view, starting with what God did in, in Genesis, working its way through Revelation and all the pieces in between, we see all the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the victories of God, the character of God, the love of God. We see all those things and, and, we, and we grab it all we're going to understand that we have a God that we can trust and rely on. A God that we can keep elevated, keep his power elevated in our lives. And, and, and this is a lesson that the Israelites learn, and then within a few short months, they forget. They arrive at the edge of the promised land, and God said, I've prepared this place for you. It, it, it's everything that you need, right? It's flown with milk and honey. It is, the, it is lush fields. You know, I've stood on top of, of the hill and looked out over the Jezreel Valley. It is the greenest thing I've ever seen. You know, it, it's, it's there, right? It's yours for the taking. And they look at it and say, those people are bigger than us. Those people are, are, are there's more of them than us. They're in, they're in fortified cities. We, 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 you know, we're, carrying, we're carrying axes. There's no way we can do this. They totally forgot about what God did with the Amalekites. And they missed out on the gift of the promised land. And it went to the next generation. And, and, and there is an invitation to us today as God's people not to miss out on the promised land that God's trying to give to me and to you. And, and, and what it takes is for you and I to acknowledge the power and the presence of God in our lives and then follow his commands as we get out on the battlefield. And then the advance comes because God has promised it to us and proved it over and over and over again. So what do you need to do today to elevate the staff of God in your life. Let's pray together. God, we confess to you today that we're a lot like the Israelites. We work off a short, short-term memory. But Father, I pray you'd expand our memory today. And with that, we would make the commitment in our own lives to do the work that we need to do in order to keep your, your power, your place in our lives elevated. So God, I pray today that even though we don't think we have all the resources, we don't have the most trained army, the best equipped army, 
we'd be willing to get out on the battlefield and allow your presence to be lifted up and let us make progress as we walk with you. God, thank you for fighting our battles with us and for us. And God, now we commit to taking the next step with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.